He says yes. How many like it when God says yes? <laughs> yes, especially if we ask for it. We want it. And we like it when he says yes, we can have it. Just like a child. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't like it when he says wait. Um, because that means we can't have it right now. That's the worst. Wait is almost the worst. Uh, no, yeah, it could be worse than no, right? But there are seasons in our in our walk with God and prayer time where God absolutely, implicitly says, emphatically says, no. Somebody shout no. I hate no, and I know you hate no too. We don't like no. Children don't like no. And maybe it is that we have a lot of childish ways. And uh, when you tell a child no, they do lots of things. They react. None of you reacted this way, not even as a child. And I certainly know that you wouldn't react this way as an adult. But sometimes they pout. Sometimes they shout. Sometimes they spout off. And sometimes they doubt. Uh, but whatever they do, it's childish. And, uh, and I've never done none of those, and neither have you when God has spoken something to me that I didn't think was the right answer, what I normally do is I go right back to God and ask him again. Because certainly he didn't get it the first time. And uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to manipulate God. I hate to be the one to be so blatantly honest, but um, I've tried to get my way before. None of you have. But let's just look at the text, um, Psalm 37, and I hope you get something out of this. Psalm 37, verse 4. Um, let's see. Oh, I, I moved it, and so I'm sorry about that. Uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So I want to stop right there because we could take that out of context, couldn't we? That means it feels like, it seems like, that every time I ask the Lord for my desire to be met, he's obligated to meet every desire that I have. But that is absolutely not true. So let's read the whole thing. You can keep it right there, and I'll read the rest of it. But the uh, uh, Psalm 37 says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Don't worry about it. God's got it. Amen. They shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Can I tell you, everything that seemingly uh, the world is doing and getting away with murder, how I many know it will come a day where God will bring it to an end? How I many know everything that's wrong, God will make right? Hang in there. But look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Uh, I, I just love that song we sang about the faithfulness of God, Chrissy, this morning. I feed on his faithfulness. How many say God's been faithful to you? Oh, man. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, verse 5. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring it to pass. That's pretty confident. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day. He's going to bring forth your righteousness. In other words, he's going to help you do the right thing. Right? Um, and so rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. It's tough for us. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. I want to talk today a little bit about, about the motive of our prayers. And what do we do when God says no? <laughs> he answers prayer. We do know that, right? 
But what do you do when the answer is no? Last week we talked about uh, God hearing us and trusting God through the difficult days as well as the good days and calling on God. And he answered, keep on believing, keep on praying. How many know you never stop believing? Pray, even to the wall sometimes. How many ever had to pray to the wall? I'm not talking about the wailing wall. I did pray to the wailing wall when I was in Israel. I just, I thought everybody else was there. Let me do it too. I even took a piece of paper, wrote down a prayer request, and slipped it in the crack of the wailing wall as if the Lord needs me to do that. I mean, the Lord can hear me. I don't have to make a trek all the way to Jerusalem. I said, I don't have to go all the way to the Middle East, to Mecca. How many believe God hears us? He's not a God, he's not a God of stone or he's not a God uh, of a building. He's, he's, uh, he's our invisible God, which, which I told you all last week makes it hard sometimes. Can't see him. So we, it's hard for us to hear and see. We have issues sometimes with that, but we call on God because here's this. Even for the believers, are you hearing me? Things can go from calm to chaos overnight. I mean, you could be just rocking along. Everything's good. Everything's sweet. You're living the dream. And then like the light bulb turn on and it just turns overnight. And uh, who do you call? Well, I call devil busters. I call on the church. I mean, you better get somebody you can call on when things turn. And I praise God for a praying church. But sometimes our motives are the issue. So. Uh, what do you do when you don't know what's next? Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Amen? And we miss it because of our hearing issues, our seeing issues. Sometimes we're left in the dark because we, uh, we, we refuse. Um, we, can't, we, we can't or we refuse to spiritually discern God's answers. He answers no, wait, yes, whatever, other things. But we have to do spiritually discern that. And that's where we left off last week. And so... God's always given an answer, but sometimes we don't like it, and uh, and it's hard to handle. Uh, await, it is. Uh, wait for my timing. Um, <laughs> we we can't handle that. But the hardest to me is when God says no, which means uh, no means a denial or a time or a denial of a time or a refusal of what we asked for. God, would you please do this? And sometimes you can plead and beg almost, grovel, and still get a no answer. And so what do you do then? The thing to remember, the first thing I put on here is important. God always longs to help you and never to hinder you. Somebody should have shouted amen to that. It's never God's intent to hurt you. It's never God's intent to disappoint you or disillusion you. Or to deceive you. I mean, no, we do have a deceiver who's always trying to hurt you, destroy you, ultimately. And so I remember the Garden of Eden. God gave the first couple the implied no. It wasn't a, a direct no. It was an implied no. Has, has anyone ever got an implied no? It was like the young girl that came up to me at youth camp, Pastor Bear, and said, can I wear this fringe bikini to the ba- to the swimming pool? I didn't even answer her because she already knew the implied no. You're at church camp, sweetheart. And so anyway, um, she didn't swim because she didn't bring anything else. Sorry, Charlie, you already know that. You ought to know that. Or maybe I'm just born in a different generation. But uh, the implied no. 
he said to this couple, the first couple, you can eat all you want from any tree, but you cannot eat from this tree. The answer is no. If you want to eat from this tree, the answer is no. Isn't that an implied no? You can have all of this, but don't eat this. So the Lord is trusting this couple. He's, he's putting his confidence in this couple. He's been with this couple. He spoke to this couple. He is with this couple. He's for this couple. If you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Right? That's the word of the Lord. So your future situation depends on your present obedience. So don't get upset with God when you totally outright disobey his no, right? And so God's not trying to hurt us or hinder us, but help us. But what happened? Satan came along and deceived them because they refused to discern what God was doing. And he began to have this conversation and in deception saying, God's not been good to you. God doesn't want to give you this tree. He, he says, if you eat this tree, you'll be smarter than him. And he's threatened by you. You're greater than God. Go ahead. I mean, no, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. And he's always doing that. So listen to me. Every time you engage God in prayer, which is just talking, communication, talking and listening to God, there is going to be somebody trying to interrupt that. Have you noticed in your prayer time, as soon as you start the prayer clock time with God, something happens, the phone goes off, disaster, emergencies, anything. Or here's the great one. I just start to get really sleepy. Anybody just like, I mean, I mean, I had, I could have 18 hours worth of sleep, and I'm just like, <laughs> what happened? Somebody give me a sleeping pill. And so, so Satan's always trying to stop us, but God loves you enough to help you. And his no may be for a purpose. We've got to learn to discern the danger behind the desire to resist God's no. Learn the danger behind the desire to resist God's no. It's a dangerous thing. And so Satan used this to lead them to disobedience. But God was always with them. And yet they chose to disobey. They hid from God in shame. So Satan's trying to get you away from God. When you go to God in prayer, when you go into the prayer closet, he's trying to get you out of there. Because Satan knows what a powerful thing it is to have a man or a woman of God who can believe God in prayer. Faith changes things, right? And so the first thought was that, uh, that God is for you out to help you to live and not die or be separated from God. It's major important to get this. So Satan sets a trap for all of us, saying God is not for you. He doesn't have your best future uh, at, at, uh, in his heart, and that God is, is not good to you. So the spiritually immature fall into that trap like a child being led away by a stranger. Stranger danger, we tell our children. Don't go in the street. Look both ways. Don't walk into a busy street. That is no, no. And if they do, bad news, right? And so when we pray, we're trying to, to make a, a transaction. You know, when we were kids, and we did this to our kids too, if you would do chores, mom and dad would give you a little bit of money. So what we, we're, we're doing is, and, and, uh, innocently, we, we do it innocently. Partially, we want to teach our children responsibilities. I mean, no, we should be teaching a generation how to work. I said, you missed a good chance to shout right there. Some of us missed that moment. But teach the children how to work. But, but when we make a transaction, 
we taught a generation that you can make a transaction with God. That God, I've been good, I've been obedient, now you owe me. That's, that's transaction in prayer. What God's looking for is transformation in prayer. Come on now. He's not looking for a transaction. This is not let's make a deal with God. You want door number one, number two, number three? I'm going to do, let's see, flip a coin. No, God speaks, and he, when you speak to him, he, he speaks back very specifically. God's not stupefied. He's not struck uh, by your uh, reactions. Aren't you glad God's the same yesterday, today, and forever? And that his, his uh, decisions are not made by my whining? It's major important to get this. So I need somebody to put your hands together and help me give God a big praise for his goodness, for his help, for his protection, for his guidance, for his love, for his mercy, for his goodness. God is good all the time. And we got to keep that perspective. He's for you. I said he's for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? So so when they, they, they need to hear this, our children need to hear this. They need to hear you tell them no. But like a parent who cares for their children uh, enough to tell them no when they need to hear it, it's important. It's painful, yes, for the one who receives the no, but it's important. So how do you react when God says no? You get confused? You get frustrated? You pout, you shout, you cry. That's a bad one. We can show tears. And, and um, so I thought I was to receive the desires of my heart, Pastor. Well, let's get into it and let's see what's happening. Some of God's greatest gifts come wrapped in painful no's. <laughs> right? And so your next answer depends on your present obedience. So why should God take you to the next level when you haven't even obeyed the first level? Are you seeing that? So, so you know, if, if you're giving commands and you're training your children, why would you elevate them to another level when they haven't passed the test of the first level? It's important that we do this because we're training. Learn to discern the danger behind the desires to resist God's no's. So they have to be told no. And when you resist a no uh, answer, you reveal your spiritual immaturity level. It's hard, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. This is where I want it to be. Some of God's greatest gifts come to us wrapped in a painful no answer. It's really a gift. It's really a gift. You know, and, and, and now we have to, because our children maybe uh, have not answered, obeyed the no or the slap on the hand, if they even get one. God forbid we spank their hand. You know, call 911, call 1-800, call somebody. You can call anybody you want. I'm going to spank you. It worked for my daddy. And so basically now we have to lock the cabinets. We have to lock the door. We have to put everything high. Not my daddy. Touch it and see what happens. That's what he said. Touch it and see what happens. I can just hear the leather. going. He was six foot one. It took a long time for his belt to come off. Big old man. So some of God's greatest gifts come wrapped in no's. And no is not always a bad answer. The Holy Spirit teaches us to discern what is good and not good for us, so we must grow into that. But Satan takes advantage of the weakest link. Therefore, learn to trust God's answer even if it's no. And um, <laughs> I get it. Kids hate it for many reasons. They're selfish. 
They're immature. Uh, they want their way. They don't understand the danger of rejecting it. And parents, uh, you know, want to give in because they're tired of all the whining and the crying and the pouting and the temper tantrums. And So, no, you can't go to spend the night at Sally's. Why? What does she not know? She don't know what her parents know, that Sally's dad is a pedophile. Help me out here. You think Sally's okay, and she could be, but her daddy needs to go to jail. Her daddy's uh, no good, but you can't tell Sally that. So what is Sally? You can't tell your daughter that. She can't spend the night at Sally's because she don't understand. She don't understand. She don't know uh, anything about pedophilia. She don't understand anything about human monsters. Is anybody getting this? Don't freeze up on me. This is a real world. I said, this is a real world. Daddy and mama said no, and that's it. You can't explain it to you. It's just no. And many times, God is that way. And you have to have spiritual enough maturity and discernment to trust the Lord. Because he knows what's best. He knows what's behind the door. He knows what's behind the curtain. Are you hearing me? And so I know it's rough. I know that's rough. But um, the child can't discern the danger behind the desire. So this is the same when we reject God's no, because we don't know what God knows, and we're limited and we're lacking discernment a lot of times. So when God gives us a no, it suggests that you walk in obedience to it. The answer is no, so learn to become satisfied with a no. I'm going to say that again. I might make you say it. Learn to become satisfied with a no. In fact, you ought to learn to be satisfied with whatever God says and not try this childish manipulation and acts where you try to go again and again and again to get your way. And, you, you know, we, we can ask God. God doesn't mind that we ask why. But if he doesn't give an answer, I don't remember how Melissa used to say it. We, just, she, we would just say, we know why. Just trust mom and dad. We know why. And I'm thankful that the kids obeyed the no, even when they didn't want to. And the same with a weight from God. A weight should never become a weight. Uh, W-A-I-T should never become a W-E-I-G-H-T. Ooh, I almost got myself in a pickle. So what about some examples, Pastor, of, uh, uh, you know, there are some who had maturity. How about the three Hebrew boys? Whenever Nebuchadnezzar said, when the music starts, everybody bow. Three teenage boys stood up and said, we are not going to bow. And the king said, hey, they reported to the king, hey, these boys are, are not, you know, they're not um, coming along with your little orders. And he said, bring them to me. He said, hey, boys, you don't understand. Maybe you didn't understand. Let me make it clear to you. When the music starts, you know. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. When the music starts, you bow. Say, O king, we refuse to bow. We serve Yahweh God, and we're not going to bow to no idols. God alone is God. How many know that's a made-up mind? Don't tell me teenagers can't have a sold-out, made-up mind for God. They made up their mind. Three Hebrew boys. We are not going to bow. He said, well, maybe I can try to convince you a little further. Turn up the heat seven times high. You know, I was going to throw you in there. Now you're going to go. Now you got no hope for nothing. He thought he would bluff them. How many know Satan is nothing but a bluffer? 
just a big bully, a bluffer. He's lying most of the time. In fact, I stand corrected. He's lying all of the time. He's always lying and manipulating, deceiving, and tricking. So he said, I'm going to turn it up, and you're going to go in. They said, oh, king, you do whatever you got to do. Our God is going to deliver us. How many have that kind of faith today? Our God is going to deliver us from this fire. But if not, even if the answer is no, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to trust the Lord anyway. That's a big deal. And uh, we will not bow even if we burn. So even if we die, we die. Like Esther, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to obey God. It's powerful. So it's painful sometimes to receive God's answers, but he gives what's best, and we are always expecting something else. So it's all about the motive. The manipulation comes from the motive, right? So we're trying to get our way, and we'll try many ways. Hebrews 12, 11. Now, no discipline. I might be up here. Uh, no discipline or no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless. Afterwards, here's the, the result. It yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Trained by it. I think training and, and discipleship are, are one and the same. Discipline is the root word of disciple, right? And so you're training, and sometimes in training, as parents or pastors or, or even if the Lord himself is training his children, he's saying the father knows what's best. If he says no, he means no, and don't ask questions. If you want to ask questions, go ahead. doesn't mean you're going to get the answer you want. Many times the reason God uh, can help us is because he will give us, if we will walk in obedience, he will reveal it in time. He doesn't reveal everything. We're walking in darkness. We're walking, uh, but we still need to keep walking, right? So, so train yourself to obey even in the dark. God's no is always for your best interest even when we don't feel like it is. And there are several places in the Word of God. You say, well, has God ever told any of his servants in the Bible? No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's just look at a couple of them so you can go home and eat chicken and forget we ever met, met together. Yeah. Choice servants. How about Moses? Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 28. When God told him, you know, uh, he pleaded with God. He pleaded with God. Let me look at it with you. Moses asked God in Deuteronomy, he said, I pleaded with the Lord at the time, saying, O Lord, verse 24, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? Verse 25, I pray, pleading, now he's praying, I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, these pleasant mountains and Lebanon. Verse 26, but the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said, how I many know God speaks? Enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the mountain, verse 27 of Pisgah, and lift up your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east. And behold, it was with your eyes, behold it with your eyes. You shall not cross over this Jordan, but I will let you see it. No, Moses. I know you want to go over, but no. And so here's a man of God, choice servant of the Lord, Moses, folks, pleading with the Lord to go over into the promised land that God promised. But 
Wow, did God reject his prayer? We don't have time to delve into the whole prayer, but we can look at a little sneak peek here. The backstory is the people complained. Imagine that, Assembly of God people complaining. First Assembly of God in Israel were complaining, and they were thirsty, poor babies. And Moses and Aaron asked God for help, and God answered, Speak to the rock, and water will gush out. That's God's answer. So Moses and Aaron, God, please, please. Oh, they're, they're all thirsty. They need, they, they're tired of manna. All you did was give them bread and bread and feed them and feed them and feed them. They had it better off in slavery, they said. How I many know oh, you could deceive your own self? How I many know oh, that's pretty bad? You start convincing yourself that you had it better in bondage and slavery. How I many know oh, you are self-deceived? It's one thing to be deceived by a deceiver. It's another to be self-deceived. Bad news. But anyway, we pray. He said, okay, speak to this rock and water will gush out of it. So I'm not sure where Aaron and Moses was in their faith process. But we do see here a little bit of insight because this is what it says a little bit later on. Moses, uh, uh, and water will gush out. And instead, look what Moses said in at Meribah to the people. Shall we, shall we, somebody shout we, shall we bring water out for you? What, did Moses have a mouse in his pocket? When did Moses get the idea that he was going to bring any water out? So there was a hint of a little bit of arrogance and pride. When a person can get frustrated and confused, how I many know oh, it's a confusing world? It's hard to handle a lot of complaints. As Pastor Moses was complaining, they were complaining, complaining, and Aaron, what do we do? What do we do? They never get enough. It's like an empty, a bottomless pit. You never can feed them enough manna. They got manna from morning to night. They get enough every day. All needs are. I mean, oh, God will supply all your needs. You don't have to worry about it. But it wasn't their needs were being met, but that wasn't what they wanted. Now they wanted water. And he got a little irritated. He got a little aggravated. He got a little arrogant. In other words, Moses said, you want water? I'll give you water. Whack, whack. And that's the reason. In fact, it says, God's grace, by the grace of God, water came out. But God understands our frustration. Look at Numbers 20, 20 uh, and verse 12. He gives the reason for the no. Because you did not believe in me. To hold me in, as holy in the eyes of my people. Therefore, you can't go in to the promised land. Their biggest need wasn't water. Their biggest need was to trust and believe in God. Yahweh God was leading them. A fire by day, uh, a cloud by day, a fire by night. We crossed the Red Sea, all the manna they could drink, all the water they can drink. And then listen. Every prayer he answered, he did it by his own mercy and grace. Then they wanted more. Then they wanted some meat. We don't have any meat. Oh, if I were God, I would have sent a boatload of spam or potted meat or something they can't stand. That's where Moses was. He's a little bit aggravated, and uh, it cost him. It cost him, but... um, God has reasons that sometimes we miss. He wants our desires to match with his desires and see it as he sees it. 
Moses, you should have told them that this is me. Believe him. When he says water will come out of that rock, I will speak to the rock and water will come out. That's what he should have did. But he didn't do it. And it cost him. It didn't cost him the glories of heaven. But how many know there are some things down here you will uh, be consequential a loss for you if you don't obey Lord's commandments? How many glad his grace is sufficient? So this is how it happened. The, the, the biggest need wasn't water. Uh, but God wants us to desire what he desires, not what we desire. And so Moses couldn't have brought water out of that rock no more than the man on the moon. So I don't know what he was thinking, but it cost him. How about David? How about David? David, Second Samuel. God told David a couple of times no, but he and Bathsheba had a child. Uh, you remember her. Wasn't a good, wasn't a good uh, match. Hello. Wasn't supposed to be that way. He stole somebody else's wife. That was a sin. I know people today don't call sin out, but how many know the Bible still calls out sin? It's adultery. So the child was dying, and David asked God to allow the child to live. But the Lord said, no, I will take this child to heaven with me. How many know children have a reserved place in the heaven? God takes every child. Yep. But but David, David didn't quite get it. Uh, or at least his servants didn't, while he was uh, fasting and praying, um, you know, nothing was happening. The child continued to, to get weaker and eventually died. But as soon as the, the child died, David washed his face, put on his robe, and went on about the business of the kingdom. In 2 Samuel 12, 16-23, um, I, I just want to look at, at uh, 2 Samuel 12, 15 first. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child, and it became ill. That's, that's pretty interesting. The consequences of someone else's sin. Did you know your sin can impact other people? You know that? And so now this baby, the Lord takes the baby, uh, but uh, disciplines David and Bathsheba. So the Bible says that he cleaned his face, and he went. His servants came to him and said, we don't understand. We don't, we don't get it. When the baby was alive, you didn't eat. You didn't drink. You just fast. You didn't do nothing. You just kept on believing. As soon as the baby died, you washed your face. You went about your business. He said, I cannot add one day to that baby's life. What did David do? He learned how to take God's answer and go with it. That's a big deal. A lot of people can't handle it. But David knew that God had said, uh, put an end to it. In other words, some people, uh, I preached just before where I said, don't put a period where God puts a comma, right? Because if God, if there was a way that God could have saved the baby, he would have saved the baby. But but then said, don't put a, a, a comma where God puts a period. If God puts a period, that's it. Clean up and go on because there's nothing you can do. How many know God is still God and nobody like him? I said, there's nobody like our God. You can cry, you can whine, you can, you know, do all you want to do, kick and pout and whatever you want to do, and stay in 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 stupefied position forever. But David knew better. Fact, verse 24, say David comforted his wife, and he laid with her, and she bore another son and called him Solomon. Solomon. How many know God always have has a Solomon for every tragedy God has a triumph? And if you don't get that, if you don't understand, for every pain, God has a purpose. 
then you will not understand and discern properly the ways in the mind of God. It's hard, I know. But Solomon, and the Lord, the Bible says, loved Solomon. What do you call him? Jedediah. The Lord loved him. Isn't that something? And uh, and so that's a big deal. When God says no, uh, David submitted to it. The Lord loved him. In other words, denial is not the end. There's always hope. There's always hope. And we think death is it. That's it. There's no hope beyond death. How many know for the believer, death is just a temporary state of being? There's always hope. And God brings Solomon along, says that he loved him. And uh, and now David is moving on. David submitted to God's no. Don't live in the past. Satan's always reminding us of our past when God didn't do something we think he should have done. Right? And it hinders us from a, a successful future. Also, David had another request to the Lord, and the Lord said no again. David's two for two. said, Lord, I have a beautiful house. This palace is great, but I would like to build you a house. And God says, hey, where have you been, boy? I've been living in the desert before you were born. God doesn't need anybody to build him anything. But David had a heart, a desire. But because of all the bloodshed, God told him no, no. But I'll tell you what I will do. I will let your son Solomon build the house. And I, I will even let you help him get all the resources and the supplies and the nails and all that. And you can be a partner with your son. But but you you cannot build the house. So so what do you do when you have a desire that seems to be a desire that's fruitful for the Lord, something for the Lord, but he says no because of your past and your consequences. So even though your sins are under the blood, how many know there are consequences? I don't know if people understand that or understand the discipline of the Lord, but it is real. I said it is real. David sinned against God, and our God always deals with sin. But when David repents, God relents. Is anybody thankful for that? If you will repent, God will relent, and he will forgive you and give you mercy and let you move forward into something better than what you think you lost in the Look at Job. Job was a righteous man. Lost everything. Didn't do anything wrong. And yet, he loses everything. But he had the right perspective. Though the Lord slay me, whatever he's doing to me, whether I understand it or not. And he had lots of questions. Be careful you choose your friends correctly, right? His three friends didn't really help him out. Thank God for some friends, but they didn't know either. So. So does David. He just moves on. God moved on. David moved on. David has another son. Verse 24, God loved him, and God did great things through Solomon. The steadfast love of God never ceases. I said, God will always be for you. Even when he's saying no, he's saying no for a reason. He's got a better plan for you than the one you thought you desired. And that's hard. But he's a second chance God. Anybody glad about that? Denial is not the end. You still have hope for the future. And uh, and I have a mentor, Charlie Greenaway. He's been gone since 1993. But he, he and his wife, Marianne, they were missionaries to, to Africa. But it's a powerful story that, that I will never forget. He wrote an article and uh, in Bill Wilson's uh, magazine or uh, something, but it's so powerful. It was called, I Won't Go to Hell Over a Mystery. 
I just want to give you a little tidbit of it this morning because I think it's apropos. He had a son named Daniel who died of leukemia when Daniel was three years old. But the story goes back to the desire Charlie had to go to Africa. He felt a call, and he was passionate. He and Marianne wanted to go. They were ministers from Alabama District, and they wanted to go to Africa. But when they went to the Assembly of God Foreign Missions, that's what they called it back then, to apply for missionary uh, um, career, they told them, no, you have too many children. Too many children. Well, heartbroken, dreams crushed, all of that. He uh, he couldn't believe that, that uh, they would turn him down. But um, he had too many kids, and they said, we're sorry. So crushed, his child dying of cancer, leukemia. He was going to Mobile for a blood transfusion. When all of a sudden, one day he had a flat tire in the middle of August in hot southern Alabama. He was heading to Mobile. And Marianne had the baby. He was changing the flat in a suit because preachers wore suits and ties. They woke up. I think they went to bed in suit and tie. And they woke up in suit and tie. It's the way it was. And uh, he said as he was changing the flat tire, he saw a car slowly pass by, and he tried to flag him down. It was his presbyter. And the presbyter slowly looked at him and kept on driving. That's a little frustrating, isn't it? If your brothers can't help you, who in the world is going to be able to help you? But as he was changing that flat, that hot August sun, Marianne said, Charlie, he's gone. Charles goes to the, to the window, and Marianne's holding Daniel. He died. Died in his arms. Charlie just goes to the front of the car, on the hood of the car, and he, and he slams his hand on the hood and says, I won't go to hell over a mystery. In other words, I don't really understand right now. Have you ever been through something you didn't understand? Have you ever gone in a dark place where, you you know, here you are serving the Lord and, and uh, the AG won't let you be a missionary, presbyter sells you out down the road, and now your only gift from God is gone? I won't go to hell over a mystery. It's his famous quote. He didn't understand why. But can I give you the rest of the story, Paul Harvey? Now that Daniel's gone, Charlie and Marianne have enough children to be able to apply, to be able to go to AG Foreign Missions again. And they went to Africa, and they gave their entire life to the people of Africa. Somebody help me give God praise. Sometimes when you don't understand, God understands. you got to get God's perspective. His dream came true. But it's hard sometimes. I said, it's hard sometimes. You get left, you know, bamboozled. But when things seem to be going wrong, they just might be going right. And then there's the Apostle Paul that I'm going to quit on the Apostle Paul. I mean, no, we don't know, but God knows, right? The Apostle Paul prayed three times that God would remove the thorn in the flesh. God said no three times. Nope, nope. Nope, nope. Well, God, I'm your son. I'm your child. I'm your servant. Don't you know that I was uh, from the tribe of Benjamin? I'm a, a Hebrew of all Hebrews, a Pharisee, right? I am the best of the best. And look here, I'm the I'm the one taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm your first missionary. I should have a little bit of favor. That's a transaction. God's wanting to transform the Apostle Paul. 
not make a transaction with the gospel. And Paul didn't quite get it. But but you know what he said. I mean, I'm glad God does speak. And right after the no came the greatest words, my grace is sufficient for you. And, and the Bible talks about Paul going to the third heavens. Listen, if you plan on having a third heaven experience, you might have to go to a third hell experience. So in other words, the lower you go, uh, the higher God might reveal. I said the more pain you go through, the more glory you might see. Paul ends up saying these light afflictions are but for a moment, but they are, are for me a far more weight of glory. I said there's something better coming than I can see. I see through a glass darkly, but there's a day where I'll see him face to face. Your pain could be a gift from God, unnoticed by you, designed by God. So we don't always know. The greatest, the greatest one in the Bible, though, is Jesus. He asked if this cup could pass from him, and we're going to take communion right now. Ushers, if you'll come. Father, if there's any way, that's a sincere prayer, sweating drops of blood. If there's any way this cup could pass. But here's what he said. One three-syllable word, nevertheless, nevertheless. See, the problem is with our motives. The problem is with our motives. It didn't bother God that Jesus asked and it doesn't bother God today, my friend, that you ask why or that you ask what or that you ask when or where or how. It doesn't bother God that you have questions. But James says if you pray and you ask with the wrong motives, you're asking for nothing. God will not be manipulated. He's not making transactions. If Jesus would have rejected God's no answer, we would still be in our sins today. Is anybody glad Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done? Listen to me. Don't deny or refuse God's answers, especially the no's. Especially the no's. It could save your life. It could save you internally. It could save you mentally and emotionally. There's a lot of people to struggle. Struggle. Some of them even backslide it could affect you not only internally it could affect you eternally people backslide satan deceives them and says god is not for you you shouldn't even worship god look what god did to you and he tricks them and they lose out with god do what joseph did joseph said hey everything that the enemy meant for evil god turned around and made it good i mean no that's an eternal perspective so bitterness is a bad deal. Backsliding is even worse. Don't let callous, cold heart, a bitter heart, stop you from your future. While they're passing these elements out, I just want to close with this verse. It's Psalm 106.15. And God gave Israel their requests, but sent leanness into their soul. I was so taken back by this verse. I just... I just had to look at it a little more. I don't know how much time I have. I think we're just about done here. But sent leanness into their soul. So I looked it up a little bit more. God gave them their requests, but sent leanness into their soul. 
It's a powerful verse that means Israel, selfish as they were, hardened their hearts in sin, and God's judgment followed. That's the leanness in their soul. His judgment followed. So just like when a desire, they desired a king, remember? Give us a king like all the other nations of the world. Give us a king. God said, I would be your king. This is a theocracy, and I am Theo. You're better off if I rule. But no, they wanted a king. So God answered their prayer. Are you hearing me? He gave them the answer to their request, but it turned out to be leanness in their soul. Is anybody understanding what pastor's talking about? It's better if you allow God to do his will. Now, let me tell you this. Not every time God gives the desires of our heart or our request does God send leanness to our souls. Only when our motives are wrong. So you keep asking God. Keep making your request be known to God. And the God of peace. Amen. How many know he will renew your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus? But when you have a selfishness or a motive, it's a bad deal. Israel trusted God. And then they prayed to God for deliverance. And then they would praise God on the other side of the Red Sea, celebrating for what he did. And then back to ingratitude and disobedience. Celebration. So then, request. Celebration for the deliverance. And then back to ingratitude. Back to disobedience. Back to God giving their request. But leanness came to their soul. In other words, they lusted after lust. All they wanted was the physical and material things. It says they lusted exceedingly. They're always wanting, I didn't get mine, brother. Thank you. They always wanted whatever they wanted. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Today, as we close our sermon today, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. God will speak to you. Sometimes people don't even talk to God because they know the answer is already. Kind of like the young teenage girl. But they got their desires met, but their souls were starved to death. God gave them the meat that they craved. Yet that meat came with a curse. And now what they wanted became something bad. Never allow ungodly cravings and lust to rule God might just send you what you're craving. Anybody have any cravings in here? About the midnight hour? Can I tell you, any craving you're getting about the midnight hour is probably not healthy. I don't ever hear anybody say, wait, give me some grapes and some uh, healthy broccoli about midnight. I just can't sleep. I feel like I want to eat some broccoli and some healthy grapes. No, no, no. Usually, oh, y'all don't want me to go there. There's too much conviction now. (laughs) Leanness of your soul. I'm done preaching. But I got to tell you, God loves it when we delight in Him and when we have a pure motive. There's nothing God loves more than a pure motive and a clear conscience doesn't stop you from asking. Paul asked three times. Jesus asked once. Nevertheless, hey, I know my mission. I know what I'm supposed to do. Nevertheless, your will be done. 
And for every cross experience, listen to me, for every sacrificial, painful cross experience comes a resurrection experience. Can somebody shout glory to God? For every bad, painful experience comes a resurrection experience. Even if the answer is no for that, it's yes for this. This is going to be better.